Okay, so welcome everyone. So today we're going to be talking about something that some, some of you might have never questioned before in your life. So the year is Tafshin Fei Gimel, or it's 5783. So how do we count that year? That's counted by a sefer called Seder Olam Rabbah, which is a book written in the Mishnaic era about pretty much just a chronology of all of Jewish history from Briyat Olam until the time it was written, which was Bar Kokhba era. So when we say that the year is 5783, that's of the counting of Seder Olam Rabbah. And from that we have so many numbers like uh, Bnei Israel was in Mitzrayim for 210 years and all these different numbers that we don't have Mephorosh and Tanakh, we know from Midrashim that are compiled in Seder Olam Rabbah. So, the, one of the biggest things that we know from Seder Olam, Seder Olam Rabbah is the length of the temple, how long the temple stood. So, we see it's quoted in Arachim 12b, how, how many years did the temple, second temple stand? It stood for 420 years, and the first one stood for 410 years. Very like nice round numbers. So, that's an important number, 420 years that the second temple stood for. Remember that number for now. And then, we also have a Pasuk in Yirmiyahu that says that after 70 years of the first temple destruction, after 70 years, I will take note of you and I will fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place. So, according to Chazal, if we look at this chart here, according to Chazal, the second temple was destroyed in 70 CE, which is mostly agreed upon. So, and it stood for 420 years. So, if you, if you go back, re, re, rewind 420 years, that brings us to the year... Uh, 350 BCE and th- so that's the, the date of the second temple construction 350 BCE now if we rewind another 70 years to get back to the uh, first temple destruction that comes out to 420 BCE as the first temple destruction so this is all this is all great except now when we start considering history into it things don't exactly fall into place nicely so if we look at the secular chronology the second, second temple destruction, everyone agrees, is 70 CE. The second temple construction isn't actually documented in history, so we don't know when that is. However, the first temple destruction, using the Babylonian records that were dug up and archaeological remains of Jerusalem, is very clearly dated to 586 BCE. So 586 is very far off from 420. And these years that are missing between them are known to historians as the missing years. 166 years where we just have no clue what happened in, for, in Chazal and just the timelines don't line up. So how, what do we do about that? So that leaves us with two questions really. Whose chronology is correct? Do we go by Chazal or do we go by secular historians? And furthermore, if we decide that we're going to go by the secular historians, do we say that we have two numbers, 420 and 70. One of them has got to be wrong. Do we say that that the, fourth, that the temple stood for longer than 420 years and that and the Chazal's number was incorrect? Or do we say that the temple was destroyed for, um, uh, this temple actually did stand for 420 years except it was destroyed for much longer. It's, it was destroyed for 236 years. So that would place the temple construction, second temple construction either at 516 CE or in 350 BC like we said. So sorry for the, the long short sheets, just a lot of numbers, easier to keep track like that. So we could also say that both of them are wrong, but then there's no really way to know which one's like the range, there's too many possibilities, so we're not gonna deal with that. So the question that we have here is, are Chazal's historical records, are they binding like halakha? Or are they merely statements? Like for example, Chazal will say a lot of things like medicine practices or like good habits, 
Like in Kedushin it says, anyone who eats in the shuk is pasaladus, is not allowed to be a witness. Do we hold like that today? Probably not. Anyone who eats food in Machna Yehuda is not pasaladus. So do we consider Chazal, where do Chazal's historical statements fall? Do they fall into some of these like opinionated statements? Like sort of medicine, like you wouldn't send your kid to medicine, a doctor who practices medicine by Chazal. So at the same thing, do we consider you wouldn't send your kid to an historian who learns by Chazal? Or is it that Chazal's history is halakha and we have to accept it as such? Anything else would be a breach of faith. So for most of this, it makes no nafkamina. However, there's one very important story in the Tanakh where this makes a huge difference. So for that, we turn to Megillat Esther. So, when does the Purim story take place? So, it says very clearly in the Psukim, in the days of Achashverosh, Achashverosh, Achashverosh. So, Achashverosh is great. The Tanakh tells us all about him, all about his riches, all about his empire. But who is he? Who is he to history? The Tanakh is not, I'm not saying the Tanakh is a history book, but especially the later parts of Tanakh are written with historical context in mind, and therefore many of the characters we have in Tanakh are actually real historical people. So who is a Hashverosh in history? So I got this on Wikipedia. Most scholars identify a Hashverosh as Xerxes I, based on several factors such as the name. Xerxes is supposed to be pronounced with all the X's supposed to be switched for Chafs in, per- in Persian. I'm not a linguist, but linguists have made this connection. Um, also Greek records confirm it. So Xerxes, was the Persian king from the year 486 to 465 BCE. So this puts us in a very interesting place. If we say that the temple destruction, the temple construction was in 516 CE, that would put the Purim story after, or that would put the Purim story after the construction of the Beit HaMikdash. And if we put the, Purim, the, the construction of the second Beit HaMikdash at 350 CE, BCE, that would put the Purim story before the construction of Beit HaMikdash. That's our big Naftamina. Is the Purim story, does it take place before or after the, uh, the construction of Beit HaMikdash? So, some of you might know the answer that Chazal gives. It's the first source I give. Keivan de Chazi de Malay Shivin Lo Aprik. When Hashemur saw that the 70 years of Yirmiyahu were, were not were been completed and the Jewish people were not yet redeemed, he said, they will never be redeemed and I'm going to use the vessels of the temple and make my big feast. We saw, we see in Megillah Esther, we read the Kelim Shonim with Eichat uh, because it's sad that Rosh is using the Kelim of the Beit HaMikdash in his feast. And he's celebrating the fact that the Beit HaMikdash has not been rebuilt yet. So according to the Gemara, very clear Pashan answer. The Purim story was written by what happened before the construction of the second Beit HaMikdash. So, what's, what's even the debate about? The Gemara says so. I, I want to argue that many, many psukim actually say a different story. So first of all, let's look at this first pasuk in Ezra. It says, So, and King Cyrus released all the vessels of the Lord of the house. And then it proceeds to list a whole bunch of vessels, 5,000 different pots and pans that, um, uh, that King Cyrus released back to the Jews. And King Cyrus ruled before King Achashverosh. So if King Cyrus released all these vessels, what vessels did King Achashverosh bring out? So there are some people who give the answer that he actually brought out the big day kahuna and stuff like that. But from the shot of the psukim in Megillah, it seems very clear that the people were eating from these kalim and using these kalim for their suda. 
you don't eat from like the big day kahuna and like the top three things. You eat from these 5,000 like smaller things that were used on a daily basis for korbanot and stuff. So if King Cyrus in the psukim and Farash gave it back, what? There is, and there's no mention of it going back to the Persian. Where, where did, it, where did King Khashosh get these, get these um, uh, sort of vessels? Furthermore, so these three psukim in Ezra, Ezra chapter 4, verse 5 to 7, give us kind of timeline of all the kings. So the first king, first it says, uh, for context, they're, they're trying to get the Beit HaMikdash built, right? And the non-Jews are causing problems for the Jews trying to build the Beit HaMikdash. So the, they, they said they bribed the ministers, ordered the thwart the plans, May, all the years of King Cyrus of Persia up until the, king, the, the reign of King Darius of Persia, Daryavish. So we see this, we have King Cyrus over here and King Daryavish over here, and there's a range, and they couldn't get the Beit HaMikdash built until then. And then it says, and in Hashverosh they drew up an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. This sounds a lot like the Forum story. So here, in Sefer Ezra, we're talking about the Forum story. And then later on, it says that they have a whole nother debate, like a whole nother, then it says a whole document of which, um, uh, of which the, the non-Jews tried to go against the Jews. So according to Chazal, according to Seder Olam, the order goes like this, King Cyrus, and then King Darius is the last one, because it's in between King Cyrus and Daryavish, and then Achashverosh and Artashokta come in between them. It's kind of giving the Klal and then the Prat in between. So it says, first Cyrus, then there was a Hashverosh with the Quorum's incident. And then there was King Daryavish, who ultimately built the Beit HaMikdash. But they also say, Chazal say that King Daryavish and Artarshachta are the same person. And they say that Artarshachta is like Pharaoh, like the, 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 the popular name for the king, like the proper name. Like Pharaoh is the king, but there are different Pharaohs with personal names. So Artarshachta is just a common name for any Persian king, but Daryavish was his personal name. So. That's, that's according to Seder Olam, that's the order of the kings. And then it immediately goes into Alexander the Great in the Greek era, compressing the entire Persian reign into a span of 52 years. Which in secular history is recorded as over 200 years. So, I put, I put next to it the, the chronology according to historical records. Now I want to reread these Tsukim to see that they actually align better with the historical records than they do with Chazal. So let's look at the first passage. They bribed the year, they bribed all, all the years of King Cyrus of Persia until the King Daryavish of Persia. So, it, obviously, there's someone in between Cyrus and Daryavish. So, in the historical records, Cyrus has a son named Cambyses. And Cambyses comes in between Cyrus and Dar Daryavish. So, it makes sense that from the King Cyrus all the way until King Daryavish, they were harassed by the non Jews, and then it stopped. And then it says. King Xerxes. King Xerxes, we said, was a Khashverosh. So now, after it talks about King Daryavish, it moves on in history. Now, talking about Khashverosh, talking about the Purim story. And then, after Khashverosh, it talks about King Artashakta, which we, which is secular historians, date as a different person as Daryavish, not the same person. So, just by the order of the Psukim and the order of the kings mentioned, doesn't it make more sense that the, that the, Psuk, that the Psukim fit in well, nice? better with the uh, historical record than the Chazal, yeah. Sorry. So I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that. So now we, so, so there's a couple leaders in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the second temple period. There's Zerubbabel, Yoshua Cohen, Haggai Navi, Zechariah Navi, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel. 
So where do all these people live? I'm leaving Daniel out of it for now because Daniel is just a mess. We're gonna we're gonna work with Ezra and Nehemiah for now. So, so sorry. Okay. So in Haggai we see that Haggai was Haggai was in the second year of King Darius. So Zechariah too. Zechariah, both Haggai and Zechariah were in the second year of King Dariavish. And then we see in Ezra on the last page, we see that the house was finished in the third month of the sixth year of the King Daryavish. So interestingly, the sixth year of the King Daryavish is 516 BCE, according to chronology, which is the exact date that we said that seven years after the first temple destruction. I just pointed it out there. So, however, now we see Ezra 7-7. Um, Ezra came in, some of the Ezra priests and Levites. So this is when Ezra set out in the seventh year of King Artashrachta, Artaxerxes. So if we say, that King Daryavish and King Artaxerxes are the same king. Therefore, Ezra, this is what Rashi says, Ezra came into Jerusalem and made Aliyah one year after the temple was rebuilt. So if that's true, why is there not a single conversation between Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Yoshua Cohen? These two people, they never talk. Ezra and Nehemiah, who both come in the... Nehemiah is in the 12th year of Artaxerxes, Ezra in the 7th. And all these other people who lived in Daryavish, if they're really the same king, and they only lived one year apart from each other, or they're only mentioned one year apart from each other, it would make sense that there'd be some recorded conversation between any of these characters. But there isn't. There isn't a, there isn't a, a recorded conversation between Ezra and Haggai, Ezra and Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. Like, when Nehemiah came to Israel, Israel was in a state of ruin. Jerusalem was destroyed, like, there were no walls, like, poverty everywhere. And it says in, in, in Zechariah and in, in Haggai that Zerubbabel built up a strong country. So how is it in one year does it become a leaderless mess? It doesn't happen in one year. According to secular chronology, Artaxerxes and Daryavish were 50 years apart. It makes sense that Nehemiah came to a leaderless Jerusalem a whole generation later. And, Ezra, and Nehemiah and Ezra never met Zerubbabel and Haggai and all these other Nevi'im. Um, now, Chazal do pick up on this, and they try correct things. Like, they'll, they'll say, oh, but Malachi is actually Ezra, because, but, or Daniel is actually Chatach, and stuff like that. So, first of all, not all, not all the rabbis agree with all these things. Those are some opinions stated. Second of all, that's just putting a band-aid on open wounds. Like, it doesn't really fix the problem. That there's no shot mentioning any connection between Ezra and, and uh, Haggai or Zerubbabel or Nehemiah, they, they lived worlds apart according to Tzipra. Ezra kind of narrates himself, Ezra kind of narrates his own life, but he also narrates stuff that happened before. When Ezra talks about Haggai and Zechariah and his stuff, Ezra will say like, oh, in the second year of Daryavish, Haggai and Zechariah, they built this. It kind of sounds like he's talking about someone distant in the past, not like someone he's like friends with. So, I think it makes a lot of sense that according to the Pshat, that these two, these two people are worlds apart. So, now, if I, am I the first person to say that because I've read, I've read a bit of history and I don't like it, I don't like how, how it fits in with Chazal, or have other Jewish scholars dealt with this before? So, let's first look at the, 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 the simple answer is no. No one, has, no one prior to the 20th century has straight up said, I think Chazal's numbers are wrong and we should follow secular chronology. But that's because before the 20th century, there wasn't any secular chronology to follow. All these things we only know about because of archaeology and dug up records. Records that were in the ground, like libraries that we found recently. None of this stuff was known 100 years ago. 
So that's why it's very recent. You won't find Rashi doing stuff like this. But you will find hints, hints in their, in their, in their, in their writings that allude to something like this. So there's no translation to Ibn Ezra, but let's look at it. So on Ezra 4.6, remember what Ezra 4.6 was? It was talking about the different kings of Persia. The Ibn Ezra says, Hashverosh is actually at Xerxes. The Ibn Ezra completely disagrees with Chazal. He says, Chazal says that Daryavish is at Xerxes. Ibn Ezra is like, no, I disagree. I think at Xerxes is the Persian name of Hashverosh, how we call him in Hebrew. So, the. What? Yeah, yeah. The Ibn Ezra is my favorite. Because um, he will just be like, he's not afraid to take Chazal head on. And he'll say, he's not, he's not saying that Chazal, first of all, he's wrong about this. Achash Verosh is not our Darshakta. We know that. However, the point is that he's not afraid to, he's not afraid to just go against Chazal. And it's, it shows that Chazal's, Chazal's word on history is not the final word. Again, let's go on to Rashi. Rashi cites another opinion in Chazal that says that Cyrus, Darius, and Xerxes are all the same king. There's only one king of Persia. So, so, what does this show? It shows that even among Chazal, that they don't agree with each other. So forget one Seder Olam Rabbah that says that they all did this. Even Chazal doesn't agree with Chazal. So how can we possibly say that Chazal is the definitive answer? Even Chazal doesn't agree with Chazal. But now the final point, the nail in the coffin. Rashi on Daniel. So I didn't bring in Daniel until now because Daniel is a bit of a mess. Daniel talks about other, other kings like different names, different time periods. But So Daniel talks about a king named Darius the Mede, who is not any of these kings before. Apparently Darius the Mede comes before, Achash, comes before Cyrus, Koresh. So no one really knows who he is, but it says, Daniel says that there will be four more, three more kings, four kings total in Persian, Persian history. So the, the, four, the three kings are Koresh, Achashverosh, and Daryavish. So who's the fourth king? So Rashi says from Chazal, the fourth king is actually talking about Darius the Mede, whoever he is who came before Koresh. However, this is the interesting part, Rashi quotes another opinion. In the book of Joseph Ben-Gurion, Joseph Ben-Gurion, by the way, was a general in the, in the, in the Jewish army during the, the Great Revolt where the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed. However, no one knows him as a historian, so many people think this is a euphemism for Josephus. So Rashi is quoting Josephus in his books. That's crazy. So, what does Josephus write? That Cyrus had a son who succeeded him before the reign of Hushveros named Cambyses. Where did we see Cambyses? As a son of King Cyrus. So, here we see that Rashi clearly isn't afraid to go against Chazal in the fact that there were no other kings, even though Cambyses is not mentioned anywhere in Tanakh. Rashi's not afraid to write. Maybe there were other people who existed, like this king, Cambyses. So, if Rashi can write that, who are we to say that there were other kings? And if you look at this chart, King Xerxes is not the last king. It goes on for 10 more kings at least. And then the Greek era starts. However, none of those other kings after Xerxes have any effect on Jewish life whatsoever. The Persians were very tolerant towards us for the most part. So Tanakh didn't write them down, therefore Chazal had no knowledge of them. So how could they possibly have... Chazal weren't historians, they didn't have history books, they don't have libraries. 
how could Chazal possibly have, uh, have known about them? So, let me just, I have some notes on my phone because this is where the source sheet ends, one sec. So, how do we, how do we look at this? There's, there's a few possibilities. You could take the Chazonish, the Haredi approach that I'm closing my eyes to history. Oh, they're all liars and Chazal is the truth and I'm only following Chazal. If you want to do that, hate. But as modern Orthodox Jews, I don't think that we feel comfortable with that. We feel comfortable throwing away history like we would feel comfortable with throwing science. I think if we're going to accept the modern world, we have to accept modern history and make it work with us. So you could take the completely opposite approach and say that you know what? Chazal did the best they could. Chazal aren't historians. They didn't know this. They did the best they could and they were only 166 years off. So what? That makes no difference. However, I think this also sells us short. We're missing something crucial here. So I think the best approach here is to blend the two in a sort of classic pshat versus drash. The pshat of the psukim seemed to fit in very nicely with the fact that the, the Beit HaMikdash was built before the, um, uh, or at least King Xerxes lived after the construction of Beit HaMikdash, therefore King's Purim story took place after. The Pshat, the Drash, takes a whole different story. So, what's the problem with this? Or, or really, why does, why does Chazal do that? So, I think at the end of the day, we, we don't know. You can, have a whole, you can write a whole book on Pshat versus Drash. There's cases in, in, in Chazal where they say, Chazal says something that goes completely against the Pshat. And you're just sitting there like, but how can, this, how can these two things be true at the same time? And they're not both true at the same time, but they are both true at the same time. The Pshat teaches us something, the Drash teaches us something else. There are, four, there are 70 ways to learn Torah, 70 Panim for Torah. There are, there are so many different ways to learn Torah. So just because the shot says one thing and the drush says another thing, doesn't mean one of them is wrong, one of them is not wrong. So, but why did, why did Chazal ch decide to do that? We can't really know for sure. Maybe part of it is because they didn't have a history book. But I think a lot of it is because they wanted to illustrate to the people of their time what it was like to live in these dark ages. Chazal didn't have the Beit HaMikdash. And they're writing for people who don't have Beit HaMikdash. They need something to latch onto. And what, what is the biggest lesson we learned from the Beit HaMikdash? That things will get dark for us when we don't have when we don't have a home, when we don't have hope, when we don't have our Eretz we don't have the Beit Hamikdash. Things will get very dark for us, but only through Bitachon and Munan Hashem, we will we will succeed. So, I think Chazal is trying to illustrate that point. That okay, we don't have the Beit Hamikdash. They didn't have either. Maybe they did. Who cares? But Chazal is illustrating the point. They didn't have it, so it makes the other people relate to it more because. I think the point is even stronger. What's the, what's the whole thing about Hashrosh's party? That it was a, a suda to celebrate the, the, the lack of building of the Beit HaMikdash? Imagine if it wasn't a suda. Imagine if it was some party that the Melech Hashrosh was having for himself. And, is it, and the, the, the Jews decided to go anyways. So the, Jew, the, 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 the Megillah uses the word bira, Sushana bira, to describe Hashrosh's palace. Where's the only other time in Tanakh that uses the word Bira, Yerushalayim, talking about the Beit HaMikdash. So Chazal pick up on that, like, yeah, the, 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 the Jews picked the Persian Beit HaMikdash rather than the Jewish Beit HaMikdash. That, it's all fine, but the Jews didn't have a Jewish Beit HaMikdash. How much more ironic, how much more Musr is that if the Jews actually had the Beit HaMikdash, but they still went to the Chazal's party? How much more of a slap in the face is that? So, I think Chazal, in their own geniuses did what they thought was right they darshan as right doesn't necessarily need to be historically true the dates and the numbers 
don't really matter. What matters is the lesson that Chazal is trying to teach us. So is the year 5783 or is the year 5949, 166 years later? At the end of the day, who cares? Because Chazal is trying to show us that this is what they want. And if that, if that means that, 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 that we miss some years, so be it. And what, do, what it says in every court document that we write, every tuba, every get, every, every sort of everything, it says the date and it says, as counted by the rabbis. So, as counted by the rabbis, as counted by humans, by humans who make mistakes. And just because we make mistakes doesn't mean, just because we miscounted something, doesn't mean make it not true, because that's how we count. Loba Shemaimi, the Torah is for us to decide the truth. So, is the year 5783? Yes, the year is 5783 because Chazal said it was, and that's the truth that we believe in. Who cares if they're actually, it's not the year 5783. The, the only thing is that we believe in the, in the moral truth that Chazal does, and with, with that moral truth comes the year, comes the, comes the knowledge of the fact that it is the year 5783. Thank you.